it's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Ahrens. All the things they say should matter, corrupted by the senseless chatter. Everybody, welcome to Get Mental here on The Answer San Diego, 1170 AM, 96.1 FM in North County. Thank you for being with us today. This is your host, Cecile Ahrens, licensed psychotherapist in San Diego, California, and owner of Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual, couples, and family counseling. You can check us out at transcendtherapyca.com. TranscendTherapyCA.com, and you may also listen to our podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Today's subject is on eating disorders, and in a few minutes, I will be joined by Miss Jen. We're just going to call her Jen. Uh, she's a therapist and an eating disorder survivor herself, and we have the privilege of hearing about her personal story and her recovery journey. So I'm really, really grateful to have her with us today. For those of you new to the show, Get Mental is a show where we discuss all things mental health and normalize conversations about mental health. And if you want to suggest future topics, conversations, have burning questions, or if you would like to become a sponsor or advertise with us, just email us at transcendtherapy at gmail.com, transcendtherapy at gmail.com. This show is community funded and your donation and contribution will make a difference. Thank you so much. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Miss Jen, who um, has requested to, to just be called that for confidentiality purposes. Welcome, Jen. Hello, Cecile. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. I'm, I'm really thrilled and so honored for you uh, to be with us today. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear your story. I think it's definitely um, a story that people need to know about because their eating disorders affect millions and millions of people in, in, in our country alone. For sure. Eating disorders affect so many people and they don't always have classical presentations when they do show up. So it's important to know what it can look like and, you know, what your loved ones could be going through that you're not aware of. Absolutely. So let's start with that. What is an eating disorder? Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of an eating disorder, they have a visual, right? An image of a person maybe who's uh, thin and not eating. I think that's the stereotype. But eating disorders, you know, can have many different uh, faces and have a range of symptoms that I think most people don't know about. And it also affects not just women, but men. 
And I think it's also important to say it comes in all shapes and sizes. Yes. You don't have to be thin to have an eating disorder. Eating disorders don't discriminate, you know? Mm -hmm. Just because somebody's thin doesn't necessarily mean they're they're good on their nutrition. Just because somebody is thin doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy. And just because someone's overweight doesn't necessarily mean that they're unhealthy. There's a whole... Um, picture to it that really needs to be discussed further, I think. Absolutely. But it's in in in, in its most simple um, definition, I think, you know, eating disorders are mental disorders marked by an obsession with food and body shape. This is one of the, the best and simple, most simple definitions I found. Um, and this is on healthline.com. Again, there are many uh, ways to define it clinically, but for the purpose of our show, we're all about simplifying mental health and the language around mental health. And the best way to think about it is it's a mental disorder marked by an obsession with food or body shape. Would you agree with that, Jen? Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, it's important to also include interest and and approach to exercise and activity in there as well, because that is a huge part of a lot of eating disorders is yes. a focus on exercise. Yes. And we're going to touch on that more a little later, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that is often overlooked in our um, body image conscious, obsessed society, I, mis- I may say. So. And even among personal trainers, there's there's a real lack of awareness about eating disorders. So it's something that's really important within even the fitness community to address. Absolutely. And, you know, just to go off on a little tangent there, I hired a personal trainer a couple of years ago um, just for knowledge because I felt like I was injuring myself from all the machines I was using that I didn't know how to utilize. And of course, you know, I had no idea what that entailed. And I remember being really concerned um, because if they were saying the things they were saying to me, to a woman or a person who had an eating disorder, how damaging it would have been. I was told to count calories. I was told to track all day long. (laughs) Um... I was told, you know, of my BMI every time I saw them. And I was like, wow, like all these things that weren't on my radar, suddenly I became preoccupied with it. And so I thought, wow, this is this must be what it's like for somebody with an eating disorder, right? Except, you know, you, you're, you've been living with it for many, many years. And, you know, the role of personal training is a huge part of my story because my trainer was a huge antagonist to my eating disorder. Wow. Wow, I can't wait to hear that. So let's talk about some of the uh, the types of eating disorders, just for the general public. We have um, what's called anorexia nervosa, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, um, this is when people uh, are obsessed or preoccupied with weight loss, have intense fear of weight gain, they restrict food, um, and basically really concerned about being thin. Yeah. And you'll typically see a lot more uh, with anorexia is that thin presentation, not always, right. but that's that's more often where you will find that. Mm-hmm. And then there's bulimia nervosa. This is where people are binging and purging. And by binging, that means consuming large amounts of food, not because they're hungry, but because of um, a tendency to not be able to control it or moderate uh, the amount of food they're eating. And for some people, it stops there, 
And then for others, they end up purging, correct? Yes. And purging can have multiple different looks to it. It doesn't have to just be vomiting your food. Um, It can take the form of working out excessively to get rid of the calories that you just consumed, um, as well as throwing up and any, any way to kind of Burn calories, get rid of food is really the goal there. Laxatives. Laxatives are a huge are a one big of bulimia, one. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the the main uh, variable here, what differentiates this from binge eating is the purging, which is usually self-induced, mm-hmm. right? The vomiting. Yep. Um, binge eating is pretty much bulimia without the purging. Um, and uh, there's a lot of guilt and feeling disgust after consuming Uh, these large quantities of food, and there's also a lot of shame. And there can be a lot of food hiding behaviors as well, eating in the middle of the night, um, hiding food from loved ones so that they don't know you're consuming it, um, going out and purchasing excessive amounts of whatever food that person deems to be a bad food or a trigger food for them and consuming it so that there's no evidence of it. So hiding food and, and the shame associated with it can be a huge factor in binge eating disorder. Yes. Another uh, interesting type of eating disorder is called pica. This is something most people probably don't know about. And this is where people are eating items that are not made to be consumed. They're non-food items. So it could be anywhere from dirt. Uh, I had a client who was eating cardboard, like pizza cardboard boxes, um, you know, soap, whatever, whatever you can think of that's not food. Um, and so as you can tell or imagine, those can result in lots of complications and medical uh, problems sometimes for some of them. Another uh, type of eating disorder is called rumination disorder. And this is where people are persistently regurgitating food after they eat, um, but it's not due to um, a medical condition. Um, so... I don't know how common that is. I've never personally had a, per- a client who's had that, but that is a type of uh, eating disorder. Let's talk about, oh, well, another one too that I want to mention is orthorexia. And orthorexia is not uh, technically a clinical diagno- a diagnosis. We don't have anything yet um, you know, established as far as criteria for diagnosis. It's not recognized as um, a, a a medical disorder yet, but it is an, um, a state in which the person or a condition in which the person is preoccupied and very unhealthily um, obsessed with eating clean and being healthy. So, you know, things to watch out for are people who are um, always reading uh, ingredients and making sure they're eating clean and organic only and know this, know that, know that, know this. And, you know, it's very different from somebody just trying to be healthy and being nutritionally balanced. This is an obsession. This is a rigidity. Uh, that's, that's at the heart of an eating disorder. And I think you can also include um, fitness as part of orthorexia and an obsession with working out, going to the gym. Um, this could possibly be someone who works out to the point of hurting themselves consistently um, and kind of lives by those standards. So mm-hmm. The inflexibility, the mm-hmm. rigidity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about overexercising because you touched on that earlier. Yep. Absolutely. What do you know about that? Do you have personal experience? Oh, I have plenty of personal experience with uh, compulsive overexercising. You know, it's it's really 
it's a huge part in our culture today that we work out and we exercise sometimes to really unhealthy degrees to the point where we're either hurting ourselves or we're feeling ashamed if, you know, you're not burning enough calories or you have a personal trainer who is really setting these really rigid rules around working out and, Mm -hmm. you know, in eating disorder recovery, one of the things I've really had to focus on because um, compulsive overexercise was such a huge component of my disorder mm-hmm. is really working through mindful movement mm. and finding the space to enjoy activity and do things that I like. And one of the things, you know, that I've really found in my own recovery is I've had to move away from the things that I did when I was in my eating disorder, because those mm. are still slightly triggering for me. Yeah. Um, so finding ways that feel good in my body, mm-hmm. um, that I enjoy doing in my body that mm-hmm. do not want to, that, that don't make me want to cry and hate myself. Afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's about finding mindful movement. And it can be as simple as going for a 20-minute walk every day. You know, it doesn't have to be these mm-hmm. these really intense workouts that mm-hmm. I think the fitness industry sells us on. Mm-hmm. Doctors everywhere talk about how, you know, just, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of activity a day with something as simple as walking can be really great for your heart health. And it's really about, you know, finding that space where it's about feeling good in your body, about being healthy in your body, being comfortable in your body, um, and really accepting your body for the way it is. Yes, yes. Great point. Thank you so much. Um, As you were talking, it made me think about body dysmorphic disorder, body dysmorphia. Um, can you help us break that down to the average person? Sure. I think with body dysmorphia, you're looking at somebody who looks in the mirror and sees a body that looks very different from what their actual body looks like. Mm. So this can be something um, as as simple as a bodybuilder who doesn't see how big their muscles are wanting to get them bigger. Right. Um, and as simple as somebody who is really very thin. thin seeing somebody very overweight in the mirror. Right. Um, or I so, look at this. It's so big. Or look at my thighs. They're... Yeah, there's lots of body checking going on, mm-hmm. pinching fat and seeing, you know, what needs to be lost and what needs to be gained in some cases mm-hmm. um, if you're looking at people who are really looking to build muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's to the point of obsession with the mirror and what their body looks like in the mirror and needing things to look certain ways. And it's a, re- a really uh, distorted body, a sense of their body. Yeah. Right? It's not an accurate interpretation exactly. of, of their body. Exactly. Okay. So um, I think I want to just talk a little bit about stats so people understand the prevalence of this, oh, man, very, very serious epidemic. I mean, oh, yeah. Pretty eating much. Dis- eating disorders are the number one, you know, mental health disorder that caused death. Really? Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Over major depression? Yeah, because anorexia can literally kill you. I mean, if you're constantly malnourished, last I had checked the statistics, anorexia had the highest death rate. Wow, wow. And I imagine because of the uh, comorbidity, what that means, guys, is the, co- the two, two disorders coexisting. Um, and with eating disorders, there's a, a lot of comorbidity with depression, correct? Mm-hmm. PTSD? Yeah, PTSD is another one. Before we forget, um, Jen is not an eating disorder specialist, okay, but she is an eating disorder survivor and a licensed psychotherapist herself who specializes in trauma. Similarly, I am the same way. I'm not claiming to be a, a, 
an expert in eating disorders, although I did work in the field for a few years, I haven't in a while, so I am not comfortable calling myself an expert at this stage of the game, but I do have direct experience in working with this population, and I also work um, or specialize in, in trauma, and I you know see this a lot with a lot of my my clients, and of course, when appropriate, I refer them out if it's something really out of my scope. And similarly, you know, I do the stuff that I talk about is really the stuff that I've either either learned through my own research or it's just been my own personal experience mm-hmm. and the experience of the people that I've interacted with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what I'm sharing. I'm not looking to provide professional advice, you know, really recommend seeking your own therapist if you feel like this might be an issue that you need to go checked out. Yes. Thank you. So some of the stats that I thought w- uh, would be interesting to share. of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. That's really sad. I can relate to that. Hmm. You were already cognizant of that at that age? I was cognizant of it at four years old. Wow. Yeah. At four years old. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear your story. At least 30 million Americans suffer from an eating disorder. And I don't have the year this was published, but... I'm sure that's correct, if not higher. I would probably suspect higher. I think a huge portion of Americans have, you know, very disordered eating habits, even yes. if it doesn't rise to the Meet level the of criteria. eating disorder. That's a great point. That's a great point. We're so obsessed with diets mm-hmm. in this country, and that is and in body and of image. Look at all the look at the yep. cosmetics um, industry, cosmetic Absolutely. surgery industry, right? Absolutely. Um, and that was from the Eating Disorders Coalition, the, That's those stats. Another one, at least every 62 minutes, someone dies as a direct result from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So, so that circles back to your point. That's mm-hmm. every hour. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Every single day, at least 23 people will die as a result, as a direct result from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 80, uh, sorry, eating disorders cause medical complications such as cardiac arrest, brain damage, osteoporosis, infertility, and like we said, death. 40.8% of active Navy men meet criteria for other specified feeding and eating disorders. So that's men. Um, that's an interesting statistics, Navy men. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm the military has very rigid standards for weight and body measurements and things like that and fitness levels that Mm -hmm. have to be maintained. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in my early 20s and around a lot of military, I saw it with my own eyes, men taking a lot of pills and shakes and anything to drop the weight in order to keep their job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, 6.8 of those men that they survey surveyed suffer from bulimia nervosa. That's where they're purging, guys. So, yeah, great point. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk about trauma and eating disorders because I think a lot of people, especially clients who come in at first to, uh, at least in my practice, to talk to work on you know their eating disorder, most of them don't realize how much trauma is playing a part in the eating disorder. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I have some savvy clients who actually have said, listen, I don't want to talk about my eating disorder. 
I want to talk about my trauma because I actually think my trauma is what's created my eating disorder. I'm like, great, let's go. And that's really exciting when they're already there. But um, for for the majority of my clients who come in with pretty, you know, nothing, nothing serious, nothing where it would require them to be hospitalized or be in a higher level of care, but it's something they've dealt with off and on. What's interesting is no one's really, you know, um, attempted to dig in or resolve the traumas. And I feel like trauma and eating disorders is still a fairly new frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that treatment centers I know are starting to look at very seriously and starting to incorporate into their care. Yes. Um, but it's still, I think, a very new field. I think for so long, it seems based on everything that I've read to be very much based on, you know, changing behaviors. But the real story is, is that it's not all about the food. It's not about food. It's not about eating food disorders. At all. Yeah, it's not about food at all. Food represents the thing that you can have control over right. when everything feels chaotic. Right. And so if you can address all of the chaoticness that is surrounding the food, then I really think a lot of the food can be resolved. I agree. And some studies have now shown a, a strong link between um, eating disorders and neglect, child abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, to name a few. Absolutely. So there is a strong correlation between eating disorders and trauma. And women who reported sexual trauma were significantly more likely to exhibit um, higher rates of uh, PTSD and eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I think, you know, interesting that sexual trauma can lead to an eating disorder but it makes sense Absolutely. because of the, again, going back to your point, Jen, the lack of control mm-hmm. and the violation of your body, I, I would say, may have something to do with that, too. And Absolutely. so the, 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 the crime scene was in the body, so to speak. So sometimes what I see anyway in my years of working in trauma is then the body also becomes the vehicle in which they try to uh, heal or take control of the injury. And I think another thing to consider, too, is that when we have trauma, a lot of us kind of um, will dissociate or disconnect from our bodies. Yes. Um, And a huge function in an eating disorder is being fundamentally disconnected from your body. Yes. You're not listening to your body's natural signals. Yes. You're not listening to anything that would tell you that you need to eat. You aren't listening to the signals that say, stop, I can't work out anymore. You're not connected to your body anymore. So when there's been trauma that especially violates the body, mm-hmm. I would imagine it makes that disconnection all the easier. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Actually, one of the articles I was reading said that precisely. That is the one thing PTSD and eating disorders, uh, sorry, eating disorders have in common is the, uh, the, the association factor. Um, and back to sexual trauma, you know, it can cause body image issues, which now is another has ha, increases the risk factor for disordered behavior exactly. or uh, sorry disordered eating and disordered behaviors absolutely yeah um what about the role of media and societal conditioning i think that's a huge one i think that is one of the biggest you know things left i think you know i think it's been said a lot in media that um 
being fat phobic mm-hmm. is like the last acceptable form of discrimination today. Mm-hmm. It's okay to laugh at the person who's overweight. It's okay to say terrible things and to judge them and to be mean to them. Um, and that, I mean, if you go across internet forums anywhere, mm-hmm. you're going to see that fat phobia and people shaming people's bodies. Mm-hmm. And you already have that built into, you know, our, our fabric of society, so to speak. And then you're adding in, you know, various ad campaigns targeted towards losing weight. You have an entire diet industry that is really, I feel, built on on people continuously using their products and they're continuously using their products because right. dieting doesn't work. I mean, how how do we escape that, you know? And that's always the big question I have. And, it, you know, in my work with people, I mean, I see the difference kind of on a micro level, right? On an individual level, as people are getting better and they're healing and they're making healthier choices for themselves, they can break that pattern. But I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I feel like it's it's insurmountable, the, um, the number of people we, we have to educate just in this country alone to stand against this diet culture. It's so misleading. It's so dangerous for people's mental health and physical health. And, you know, I could go on and on and on about this issue, but... Absolutely. I mean, I definitely could too. I mean, you know, something like intuitive eating or health at every size, these are very research-based. You know, there is research evidence behind the efficacy of these programs for helping people heal and develop healthy relationships with food um, and their bodies and to build that mind-body connection. And yet I think a lot of people out there will openly reject them as um, they're saying it's okay to be unhealthy. They're saying it's okay to be fat. They're making this okay. And it's not about that. It's about encouraging people to live within their bodies, to connect with their bodies, Mm -hmm. to understand their bodies and to build that relationship that at some point got severed. Right. And to do that in a really holistic, loving way instead of a way that is shaming. Right. And to also, you know, acknowledge the fact that our bodies are not homogenous. We're not meant to you know, all consume the same amount of calories and our nutritional needs are, are all going to vary depending on our body type, our activities, what we do, who we are. Our genetics. Our genetics, thank you. And not trying to, I mean, no pun intended, but like one size fits all kind of yeah. <laughs> approach, you know, to dieting. Well, and I think it's really interesting to address the fact that your body has different caloric needs, different days too. So there mm-hmm. are days your body needs more fuel than right. it needs on others. And that's okay. Right. Um, the research that they've done with intuitive eating um, has really shown that over time, if you can adopt a fully intuitive eating approach in your life, mm-hmm. the calorie stuff all kind of levels out. Yes. It all kind of balances Um, Even if you have days where you're, you know, eating a lot of sweets and a lot of what, you know, mainstream culture likes to call junk food um, versus the days where you really want a salad. Foods that are bad and foods that are good. And one of the things I I always hear, me too. And one of the things I always hear when I'm talking about intuitive eating is like, but I'm never going to stop eating the bad food. I'm never going to have enough candy. So many times. Believe me, you will. (laughs) 
you can only eat mac and cheese for dinner so many nights in a row before you really just don't want it anymore. Right. Your body has you this You have to learn to trust your body. Your body has the, these natural built-in mechanisms to tell you when to stop eating what you're eating and when it needs more. And, you know, it knows what nutrients it needs. But if you're disconnected from it, you're going to miss the cues. You're going to miss the signs. And the other thing, too, is emotional eating. You could be, like, eating super healthy and it takes one stressor to make you want to do, you know, get in your eating disorder, right? So if you're not treating the root cause, you're going to be a, a slave to that. Absolutely. Right. You're never going to get off the, the cycle if you're not treating the the unresolved emotional and underlying mental health Absolutely. issues that are going on. Absolutely. That emotional component is so huge of so many disorders and a lot of things that I've worked um, through with my the dietitians that I worked with was understanding when I'm eating emotionally versus when I'm eating because my body is asking for it. Right. And the more that you repair those links, the more between the mind and body, mm-hmm. the more you're going to be in a position to make the decisions for what your body needs that day versus um, what your eating disorder may tell you that it needs. Well said. Well said. The other thing I want to just touch on for a couple of minutes, um, because I want to make sure we have enough time for your story, is social media and just the the media in general and how it perpetuates messages, you know, um, around thinness and what it means to be sexy and what it means to be attractive. It brings to mind this ad um, campaign that I saw, I believe it was in London. Um, I may be wrong on that. I don't have the internet in front of me, unfortunately, to research it. But I think it was in London and it was subway advertisements advertising, um, uh, something like how to get a beach body or get bikini mm. body ready. How well, you to get see a that in the body. summer, all those ads start to come. Well, and the really great thing was, is that people actually kind of defaced these advertisements and said, everybody has a bikini body. Everybody is a beach body yeah. and things like that. So it was really kind of cool to see that a few years back to see people speaking out against ad campaigns like that, that are really yes. just so encouraging of eating disorders. You know, yes, it's important for, for our health to have some level of basic fitness. They should promote health and fitness. Exactly. Not it should be about a health certain and body. Wellness. I always like to say that at this point, you know, I have the body I was dealt. Mm-hmm. I've been having, you know, disordered behavior for probably about 25 years. And my metabolism is shot. Mm -hmm. Like this is what I'm working with. And so, you know, I'd rather work on making sure I still have mobility when I'm older, that my organs are functioning, that I don't have any major health problems, and that I am, you know, healthy in those markers, even though my weight may not agree with what is stereotypically considered healthy. Well, that is the sound of somebody who's on the other side of her eating disorder. So that's it's been really six years. So six, hopefully <laughs> six years. Well, they say, right, you, it's you're always in recovery. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, it takes an average of um, one of my dietitians told me it takes an average of three to seven years mm-hmm. to really get to the other side of the t- disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I got to the other side pretty quickly. Um, but I think it's always a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lastly, what about genetics? What about the role of genetics? I know that, you know, it can play a part, but eating disorders are a lot more complicated than that. There's usually not one single causal factor. 
could be a combination of things. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about the genetic aspect. I feel like there's still a lot of research to do in that realm. Mm-hmm. I always like to say, if you see my mom and dad, like, I'm never going to be a size zero. That's just, if you see my whole family. <laughs> right. You know, it even, just won't make sense. Exactly. The women in my mom's side of the family really, you know, maintained their weight by living on fad diets. And every time I hear Mm. them have conversations with my mom, it's always about what their latest diet is. And they're still not on a diet. (laughs) They're still on a diet. They've been on a diet for, you know, my whole life at least. And they're not the the size two, the size six, size 10, you know, they're in that plus size category at a 14, a 16 and 18. And they're still dieting. I was just thinking that as you were talking, I was just thinking about just the people in my immediate circle and the majority of them are on a diet. Mm-hmm. There's always some kind of diet. I, yeah. I won't stay in a room with people who just want to talk about diet and exercise. It's there's more That's interesting part of your things. self-care. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's more interesting things going on in the world mm-hmm. and in life mm-hmm. to talk about than who is on what diet and what workout plan is working for who right. and who's eating what. And the other thing I've heard of recently is intermittent fasting. Yeah. And I don't know enough about it to talk about it, you know, in, in an educated way. But to me, it just it, so- it sounded a little concerning, like not eating for 16 hours. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do it's, you know much about it? I don't know a whole lot about it, but it definitely sounds not very intuitive to me. Right. Right. Maybe if for medical reasons for a very short term, I could see maybe the, the therapeutic value in, in doing something like that. Because one of my clients, she was actually recommended by a doctor to do intermittent fasting. So I, I'm thinking it's for those short term reasons, right, medical reasons, there might be some value. But as a lifestyle, the red flags will start well, and I just, going off. I feel like there's just not enough research out there on it, as there isn't with most diet and exercise. You know, I mm-hmm. love I love it when, um, you know, various diet companies claim to have a success rate. But where do those numbers stop? Is it a one-year success rate? Or do they look at the five years out? Because right. the last time and I And what looked, is success? Exactly. And, you know, the last time that I, I, I looked at the success rates um, within the intuitive eating book, which, mm-hmm. which was really where my recovery began, Mm -hmm. um, it was something like 95% of diets fail at five years. Wow. And people gain the weight back and they're back on a diet. I believe it. That's why people are, seem to be perpetually on some kind of diet, like waiting for this magic diet that's finally going to give them the body and the look that they're going for. And to speak to that, I want to, I also want to say that everybody who says, oh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change. Any time that you are artificially restricting calorie intake, any time that you're you're doing these things artificially and independent of what your body's telling mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. or you know even mm-hmm. what's outside of medical recommendations, mm-hmm. because there are people who do need to be on specialized diets, sure, sure. you know, in terms of diabetes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of those people, any time that you're living in an unnatural state where you're not in tune with your body and not listening to it, right? In my world, that qualifies as a diet. Right. So we're not just talking about, you know, some of the different ones that are out there, like Weight Watchers and and Jenny Yeah, and we're also not, we're also not, you know, trying to discredit them either. But what we're talking about here is when does it become disordered? Exactly. When does it become unhealthy? When does it become an obsession? Right. And in my experience, the two things that are present all the time is rigidity and shame. 
Absolutely. They, they, they're like twins that just follow each other around when somebody has an eating disorder. And this discomfort, this almost like unbearable discomfort, if I don't work out, if I don't, you know, purge, if I don't do this, then, then the spiral starts to, to begin. Absolutely. So, and it's not your fault. Okay. For a lot of, for a lot of people suffering with an eating disorder, you know, it's like what we talked about. There's so many different reasons why you, you would develop one. And a lot of the times it's because of the, the societal conditioning and for some genetic factors, like they're saying serotonin and dopamine uh, levels could be a part of that, but there's still a lot of research I think that needs to happen. And the trauma, the trauma cannot be underestimated, you guys. There's a strong link between unresolved or untreated trauma and eating disorders. And the good news is there's so much trauma uh, research now and effective trauma treatment. And I really think that if you guys can treat the trauma, the eating disorder uh, behaviors will tend to fall away. I agree with that. Right. Very much so. That's just what I've seen in my practice. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that, you know, absolutely. That's the same that I've seen um, with the people that I work with who do have disordered eating. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of emphasis on control and anxiety that goes into an eating disorder. And when you can help somebody resolve those things, it's not about the food. Right. It was never about the food. Yep. It's about this pain, mm-hmm. you know, and all the core beliefs around what you think you're worth and, and, and what you stand for. Yep. You know, absolutely. So, well, we are going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging in there with us. And when we return, we will have the privilege of, learning about Jen's story and recovery journey. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Supporting local business isn't always convenient, but at Ortiz Market, it is. Ortiz Market has all your shopping needs right at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. They're family-owned and operated and feature a huge selection of local beverages. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll order it for you. That means you can get what you want without the long lines you find at big-name supermarkets. The best part is they care about serving our community and are here to join the fight to destigmatize mental health and let people know you are not alone. Visit Ortiz Market today at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. Welcome back to Get Mental, everyone. This is Cecile Ahrens, your host and owner of Transcend Therapy. Check us out at transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com. If you would like more information about our practice and if you live in California, we can also uh, provide telehealth. That's either video or phone sessions. Or if you're in San Diego, um, give us a call. And we can schedule a, an evaluation or assessment and see how we can help you. 619-823-1382. 619-823-1382. Our guest feature of the month is certified meditation teacher and empowerment coach, Joy Parks. She came uh, to the show about four weeks ago to talk about mindfulness and its many health benefits. To learn more about her practice and how she can help you, please visit joyparkswellness.com. 
joyparkswellness.com. And speaking of a mindfulness practice, I actually think that mindfulness and meditation can help it's a huge if you have an eating part, disorder. Huge part of recovery is mindfulness and getting back in touch with your mind and body. Yes, and being able to sit with the discomfort of an urge, yep. right? And Absolutely. tolerating all those um, unpleasant emotions that come up early in recovery. Absolutely. So, so um, I'm very excited to continue our conversation here with Jen. And she is going to tell us her eating disorder journey and where she is at today so that um, the viewers and listeners know that there is hope and that there are true survivor stories and success stories. So, Jen, take it away. Thank you for being here again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most interesting part for me in talking about this is that my presentation of my disorder was not typical. I was, you know, I was dieting and I was exercising like most Americans do. What, what's um, what's most Americans do? Like for you, what? how often were you dieting and how often were you exercising? Well, when I really got into my disorder, I was very much, you know, I started with one of the one of the big diets that's, you know, out there on the market. And then I transitioned into doing a lot of calorie counting. But, you know, this all started back when I was four years old. Wow. Just, you know, seeing my mom's own hatred of her body mm. and her lack of acceptance. You know, I have a very distinct memory of being four years old. And I know what I was wearing and where I was and everything. And I remember, you know, having this thought that like, wow, I'm overweight and I need to lose weight. Wow. And, you know, my mom you know, thought it would be a great idea at age six to put me on slim fast with her. I oh, very wow. much became her diet buddy. Um, so we did uh, slim fast when I was six. Um, we did hydroxy cut when I was eight years old. Wow. Um, we did Atkins when I was 10 years old. Um, we did Nutrisystem, I want to say around middle school. Um, we did a six-week body makeover when I was in high school. And the line that I drew was really when my mom decided to go into OptiFast, um, which is um, a medically supervised fasting mm -hmm. program uh, where it's um, kind of a liquid diet for a period of time. Um, and that's where I personally drew the line. Right. I wasn't going to follow that that pattern. Um but you know, how did you do that? Did you actually announce that to your mom? I was, I just was not interested. Mm -hmm. I was really just not interested. When she decided to go to that level, I was like, okay, this is where I end with this. Mm -hmm. um, how old were you then? I was, I was in high school. I was in my senior year of high school when she did that. So I was about 17, 18 years old. Wow. Um, and honestly, thinking back now, when I went to college, that's probably the healthiest relationship I'd ever had with food because I didn't have people in my life who were obsessed with dieting anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really put those puzzle pieces together for a long time. Mm -hmm. My disorder, I mean, I would argue that all of that was incredibly disordered eating and really absolutely. inappropriate. And your mom was also, sounds like also was suffering from an eating disorder. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um and it really hit high gear when I came back from college and after I'd graduated with my undergrad, um, my whole family was on a diet. And so I was like, well, everybody else is doing it. I might as well do it too. It just makes things easier. normalized. Very normalized. Mm -hmm. Very normalized culture within my family. Um, and so it started with, you know, counting points. Um, for food, food was given various values and you were given a certain amount that you could spend that day. So it started there. I got a personal trainer at the gym because I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. Mm -hmm. And eventually 
that transitioned into me being absolutely obsessed with working out. Um, I wore a heart rate monitor. Um, I was watching my Calor- workouts, calorie, calorie burning. Counting, burning. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that point, my my personal trainer really set a target limit on how many calories I needed to eat for a day and specified what calories I could eat back and what couldn't. I'm not going to say numbers because I think that can be very triggering. Absolutely. I was going to say, but please it, don't say numbers. <laughs> but it can be, It's. it was mm-hmm. not, it was not enough to function. Right. It was not enough to function at all. Um, and But did you follow the plan? Oh, yeah. To the letter. I was perfect student. And, you know, to the point where it wasn't a good week if I didn't drop five inches from my waist. Mm-hmm. Um, I was obsessed with the scale, weighing myself mm-hmm. every single morning um, and just you know, this was very normalized. And then I was getting this feedback from yes. my doctor. Oh, this is great. You're losing weight. Oh, you look and so I'm good. And I'm sure People, the general public. Exactly. I remember I had a, I had um, a friend who was like, oh, you're going to look like Betty Boop and you're going to have that perfect hourglass figure. I was like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, and I was really excited. Yeah. I, I was getting more attention from men you yes. know, when I was in my early See, 20s those are, at this That's point. how it gets reinforced. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. it's very confusing. I think for somebody in the thick of their disorder, absolutely to not to not want to do that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it just escalated, and you know, next thing I knew, I was still essentially starving myself and training for half marathons. I ran four half marathons while wow. functionally starving. Wow. Um, and so this is what I say when eating disorders don't always look like the picture that we see in the mm-hmm. magazines. It's not always the girl who won't eat her food. Mm-hmm. It's not always um, the person who's throwing up after their meal. In fact, if you'd asked me early on in my disorder, I would have said, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm not throwing up yet. That right. was like my line. Right. Um, I remember having thoughts, you know, within my eating disorder of like, well, I know if I'm throwing up, that's going too far. I've been also having the thought, if I hit goal weight and I still hate my body, mm-hmm. then what am I going to do? How mm-hmm. far am I going to take this? Right. Because there's no guarantees that you hit your goal weight and you'll like who you are, especially if you haven't done the work on yourself and your self-esteem I've never and seen confidence. that happen. It doesn't I've happen. I've never seen that happen with people with active eating disorders. You finally hit your so-called goal and you're mi- still miserable, if not more miserable. And your body maybe didn't do what you wanted it to do mm-hmm. because bodies don't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, you know, I got to a point where I had started grad school and I was trying to do my disorder and I was dating someone and I just couldn't keep it all up because having an eating disorder is very isolating. I was very isolated. I was going on and dates. And it's very I, consuming. It You're is. Preoccupi- literally preoccupied with so. it very every minute so. of your waking life. And that's, that was what was easy about it for me is because I had a job that I went to. Mm-hmm. I had family around me who was all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I had a very rigid routine of what I would do and how often I would work out and what kind of workouts I would do. Mm-hmm. And the minute that something jumped in there to interrupt that, that's that rigidity. it all fell apart. Yes, I couldn't do grad school and be in an active relationship with someone and work and sustain my disorder. What did you give up? I well, it started out I was in my first 6 months of grad school and I was very much back and forth between um my disorder transformed essentially into a binge restrict pattern. Mm-hmm. So I would binge for a few days and I would restrict and I'd binge and then I'd That's restrict. That's how you ended up compromising. 
Yeah. And even that wasn't sustainable because I was feeling so much shame and guilt for Mm -hmm. not being able to hit my targets every day and feeling like I was just a worthless person for not being able to hit these artificial targets for Mm -hmm. food and exercise Mm -hmm. and then hating my body because it wouldn't do what I needed it to do. Right. And it was one of my best friends in grad school who finally said, Jen, have you ever considered that you might have an eating disorder? Wow. And that was like the moment that everything changed. She turned me on to intuitive eating. Um, I got myself a dietitian. I got myself a therapist. That was your turning point? Huge turning point. Wow. And you were in a place where you actually could hear that because it could have been the opposite. You could have still been in denial. Could have. Right. And, you know, I've seen this happen where people actually start uh, end the relationship with a person who's pretty much putting a mirror in front of them. Yeah, and I was really in a place to hear it because I think I was just tired. Yeah. I couldn't do it wonderful. anymore. And, you know, the doctors, you know, my my blood test results and everything were great. My numbers were great. Um, and so there was this encouragement from the medical side to keep going. And when I started in recovery, I got a doctor who was very focused on health at every size. And she told me, she's like, Jen, you may have lasted six more months with really good numbers. And then things probably would have started to tank. Right. Because you're taxing your heart. You're taxing yeah, your, it's your not internal organs. It's not sustainable at mm-hmm. all. Your body can't put up with that much stress. Right. Um So that was a huge turning point for me, and I got myself help, and I sought my own therapist who helped me do a lot of work and uncovered my own baggage, my own trauma. And when we talk about trauma, I think it's really important to say that we're not talking about necessarily always the big T traumas. We're not necessarily talking about rape and assault and these really horrific graphic things that happen to people. You know, I grew up with a family that was very body focused. Mm -hmm. That is its own type of trauma. Right. I grew up with, you know, attachment wounds with my parents. That's Mm -hmm. its own kind of trauma. And it all feeds into it. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying that. When we say big T, that's uh, trauma talk uh, for for people who specialize in trauma. Those are the big traumas like she's talking about. But a lot of times what people have is a collection of untreated little T's, the little traumas, we call them. And they could be anywhere from neglect, you know, bullying, people teasing you. Yeah. Narcissistic parents being ridiculed, made fun of for your weight. Um and uh, unmet needs for love and healthy attention mm-hmm. in childhood. So there's a range of behaviors that fall under that. But thank you for, for clarifying yeah. that. And so, you know, the, there is help out there. And I really, I, I didn't, fortunately, for my level of need, I didn't need a treatment center. And mm-hmm. I, I'm very grateful that it was actually pretty easy for me to stop my behaviors because I was just done. I was tired and I couldn't do it anymore. You were ready. I was very much ready. So I was able to kind of stop my my behaviors, but the thoughts were what I had to deal with. And the thoughts of like, I still need to lose weight. My weight's going up. What's wrong mm-hmm. with me? Nobody's ever going to love me. I need to buy bigger clothes. Oh, All the God, core what's beliefs do? start to emerge. Exactly. And that's really what we had to deal with in therapy along with a lot of my family stuff and dealing with that. And, you know, I was in a very unique position when I started my recovery because I was in graduate school to become a therapist. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had my own therapist, and I was doing grad school. And then you had a nutritionist as well. And a dietitian, yeah. Dietitian. I had mm-hmm. a dietitian that I worked with. And in, in my classes, I was writing these papers, and I was using myself as my case study. Right. So I was using all of these theories that we learn in you school. You were learning the, the, to learn the about knowledge myself. 
around it. Yes. Exactly. While doing the therapy. And so I think that really led to some really powerful recovery for me. Um, I'm very insight oriented now. I really want to understand why I am the way I am and what the childhood stuff, because it usually is childhood mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. that's there that's still affecting me today. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's recovery journey is so different. Very much so. So, you know, there's not one one way to, to do this. Um, what does your recovery look like today? Well, at this point, I'm still very intuitive about my eating. Um, I still really um, promote body acceptance. Mm-hmm. I found fitness that f- works for me. What is that? Um, so I do swim. Swim was something I didn't use with my disorder, but it was always really good for me. Um, I'm actually now doing aerial silks classes. I know. Um, that's so exciting. Which is really fun and different and doesn't feel like an exercise class, even though it is an insane full body workout that really most people could probably do if they really wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding... Really celebrating your body. Exactly. It's about celebrating my body. It's about finding finding a way to be happy with who I am. Right. And I know uh, recently you've also been in or consciously made an effort to be in body positivity circles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that has to be a conscious choice. Because you need community. Exactly. You know, and if you're around people that are always talking about the latest diet or exercise Mm -hmm. or who's eating what or people who are very judgmental about those things, that's just going to reinforce it within yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really had to pull away from that. I've set boundaries with my family. I'm not talking about these things with Mm you. Mm -hmm. Um, They recently had a party and everybody was sitting around a table talking about food and diet and I was like I'm out I'm right. not I'm not right. going to listen to this and I'm not going to sit with this That's a great point you know learning how to set those boundaries and um create uh, a support a supportive community around you um is really really important and you know once you're further along in your recovery and you have the right team um this is all possible for 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 millions of people out there who are maybe um suffering from an eating disorder you know we want to send today today we want to send you a message of hope and that recovery can happen does happen and there are a lot of real supports and treatments out there for you exactly you do not have to hate your body and your life does not need to be ruled by food and exercise right you just have to reach out for help right would you say that um you're happier now than you've ever been oh tons i mean i'm i'm doing things that i never thought i would do and mm-hmm. my life doesn't have to revolve around diet and exercise yeah. and instead i can just be me and have fun and you know really find my identity outside of that and i think that has all the value in the world to me right and you know a lot of our our listeners don't know this but i've known jen for a few years and i can tell you she is one of my favorite people she is so amazing she's so powerful intelligent um insightful kind caring generous and you're too sweet <laughs> <laughs> i mean that and um I'm just really, really glad to. I, I didn't know your full story. I I knew pieces of it, yeah. so I'm I'm really glad to, um, 
to know that you are in this place today, given mm-hmm. that history. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I just really want to emphasize, you know, I think it's really important to seek that help. It's important to reach out to the people in your 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 support system who yes. will be supportive of mm-hmm. that journey for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do, do your own research. I had to do a lot of my own research right. to learn about a lot of the different interventions and the mm-hmm. things that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, But just start. Start exactly. somewhere. So we only have a couple of minutes left. Can you tell us about some awesome resources in the community that you know about, Jen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, my journey started with the intuitive eating book um, that was written by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich. Um, they're registered dietitians. It's all researched with references, evidence which is fantastic. Based. It's very evidence-based. Um, and I would also recommend checking out the book Health at Every Size, written by Linda Bacon, which is really advocating for a medical approach to to weight that is inclusive and accepting mm-hmm. of diversity. And finding a therapist that's a good match and fit mm-hmm. for you who understand eating disorders and trauma. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, it, when in doubt, if you live in San Diego, call the Access Line for Absolutely. local resources. Um, and in San Diego, that number is 888-724-7240. Um, what else? What about NAMI? NAMI can always be a good resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's groups out there for sure that I'm sure the Access and Crisis Line would have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, off the top of my head, I know there's an ANAD group. Um, Eating Disorders Anonymous is out there as well in San Diego. There you go. Um, so there's some different support systems out there. And you have to find what works for you. Absolutely. Right. Okay, you guys. Well, we have reached the end of our show. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here today. I cannot thank you enough. Well, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And hopefully you guys found that story uplifting and inspiring. And again, you are listening to Get Mental here on The Answer San Diego. Bye for now. And until next time, be well and be gentle. Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. To learn more about Cecile, become a sponsor or guest on Get Mental, or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. No,